This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hi, I'm going to whisper some things to you now about crunch chocolate bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Mm. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. Crunchy, munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the fun with Crunch. Welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. My name is James Gill. I am the MC at the multi-award-winning comedy nights, Always Be Comedy. I'm joined, as always, by my comedy husband, Always Be Comedy's very own, Tim Lewis. Hello, Tim Lewis. Hello, James Gill. The Always Be Comedy podcast is where we sit down with a guest and they curate what would be their dream comedy gig. Who would open? Who would close? What sort of gigging nightmare that they've experienced must not, under any circumstances, happen at this fantasy comedy gig? It's all this and so much more. And by so much more, we often mean quite a lot of gossip. Hello, welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. Our guest this week, my goodness, the firebrand, Rachel Fairburn. Tim, you and I very much all aboard the rachel fairburn bandwagon yeah ridiculous levels of comedy someone who we started booking in the last year or so she did one gig for us and then we we're like she's so brilliant she did countless gigs for us immediately after <laughs> she did this is very much the always be comedy booking policy <laughs> we'll see someone we go holy mackerel they're awesome and then we will work them into the ground <laughs> so <laughs> what happened with rachel uh, she, yeah, she's done. Rachel has done a lot of ABC, but there was there was one week. I think we've mentioned it on the pod before. She did three in a week. She did something like Monday, yeah. Thursday, Friday. Yeah, uh, we think. I would say when we believe in someone, we we my God, do we believe in them? So, uh, and we will always try champion them as much as we can. I'm saying this, it sounds very patronising. Rachel does not need our help. Rachel is a incredibly successful comedian, but we, you know you know what I mean. We we love to. Uh, wave the flag as as, as much as we can and, uh, you know, get get the word out there. Rachel Fairburn, if you've never seen live, you're in luck because Rachel is going on tour. We've seen uh, snippets, chunks of the tour, and the gear is eye-wateringly strong. You wouldn't be able to get through an airport with the gear because it's so strong. The show is called Showgirl. If you Google Rachel Fairburn Showgirl Tour, You'll find all the dates. Uh, I'm on the McIntyre Ents website. Uh, According to this, we kick off 9th of September, Manchester, kicking off uh, with with a a home fixture. Then uh, Edinburgh, 24th of September, and then it's all around Britain. Loads of dates. Leicester, Winchester, Cambridge, uh, Lyme Regis. (laughs) Oh, my God. Tim, the the tour is longer than I realised. Um, as it stands, it climaxes 26th of November in York, but hopefully coming to a town near you. What I would say about Rachel 
And I always have a soft spot for an act that is openly furious. <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> Rachel is absolutely livid. I was chatting with Kerry Godleyman and I said, Kerry, you love her. She's absolutely livid. Yeah. Kerry Godleyman's a great shout, actually. Yeah. They'd get on. They would get on. Her, Brister, Godleyman, that would be a, a holy trinity of rage. Uh, so if you, if you like your comedy, uh, well, hilarious, but also I, I love the anger. The anger is dripping off her. Uh, it, it, just effortless fury, and and we 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 love it, uh, Tim. What what else can we say about Super Rachel? Well, I think a couple of acts she really reminds me of. Uh, she really reminds me of Jack D, and she really reminds me of Frank Skinner. Go what on. I'd say about Rachel, there is a lot of anger, but in this episode, <laughs> ho, 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 there's so much love. There is a conversation between you you two talking about sitcoms of the 90s. I won't lie, I hadn't heard of all of them. And it's a proper loving. It's really lovely stuff. And yeah, sorry, Rachel, when I say Fury, you know that I mean that as a, as a huge compliment. I, I love that. Yeah, Tim's absolutely nailed it. Uh, you know, Jack D, one of the absolute all-time greats. We think Rachel's hilarious. Also, as we mentioned on the pod, um, you know, we know that podcasts are, are very au fait right now. Rachel Fairburn, very much one of the OG podders, thanks to the the huge success with with Kiri with uh, all killer no filler. That does not need our <laughs> need our help in promoting. It's an absolute uh, juggernaut. Ten years of all killer no filler, isn't that mad? Also, Rachel's selections superb. I ha now I do apologise to Rachel during the episode. Now, we're quite a few episodes in, and so if you're a regular listener, you will know that this is unlike unlike me. And it, again, it came from such a, a very defensive what I'm doing. It, it came from such a place of love. But I think there's, I see real similarities between Rachel and myself. I, I, we get on uh, really well. But when Rachel was making her picks, I'm practically like diving through the screen because I'm like, oh, it's like you can see into my soul. And so I, I couldn't join in quick enough because Rachel's picks really chimed with... Uh, my taste in comedy as well. I'm probably revealing too much there, but it was honestly, you know, when you chat with someone and you you realise that the Venn diagram is essentially a circle and uh, Rachel's picks, I was so energised and excited by, and I, and I think I think you will uh, you, you will see what I mean. Uh, the correspondence this week, uh, we will kick off with a bit of correspondence which uh, meant a great deal. A certain someone wrote... Uh, driving home from giving grandson his tea, I notice my phone case in the passenger seat is empty. Drive back to daughter's. Ten minutes into return journey, realised I was listening to the podcast on my phone in the holster on the dashboard. The Always Be Comedy podcast with Ed Byrne. I blame you. Hashtag fab work. The writer, Jenny Eclair. So that obviously hit Tim and I for six. One of the one of the truly great icons of British British stand up comedy. Jenny, if you're listening, you know how much we love you. Always be comedy. Uh, put on a show for Jenny recently, and uh, we, we hit. I, I would, <laughs> it's not really for me to say. I would like to think we hit it off so much, and the pre gig chat was was uh, so brilliant. We we actually started the gig slightly late because we'd we'd. Jenny and I had, had, had talked so much. So to get correspondence from uh, 
such a phenomenal comedian. We actually did a show last night with Josh Pugh uh, as a slight tangent because, you know, Josh was asking after always be comedy shows. And one that we singled out was the show with Jenny. And I was just explaining to Josh, when you realize that you're in the hands of a master uh, craftswoman, uh, one of the best shows I've seen in quite a long time. Uh, do check out. If you, there are not many tickets left, but Jenny's another one on tour. Uh, good luck getting a ticket, but uh, uh, once again, an incredible talent. We also got some return correspondence from Katie Borrows, one of our listeners in New Zealand, who was asking basically how a comedy night works. So we would explain. So Katie writes, thanks heaps for the explanation. It's fascinating to think of how these things affect an overall performance. It was a bit surreal hearing my words on a podcast. Uh, it felt a bit like we were on a call, but it helped to get the feel for what it would be like to come to one of these shows. I tried telling my boyfriend what we need to, <laughs> that we need to go to the UK because the man on the podcast said so, but he just looked at me strangely and asked if I'd had enough to eat that day. Um, th that is a relief. We have, we did, I think we've talked about this before. We did once have a, a couple fly from their honeymoon to come to see someone at Always Be Comedy. Their honeymoon hinged around this trip. And as we said, what if that comedian had had a cold? Uh, Katie Borrows picks, it's an all New Zealand lineup. MC, Tim Bat, opener, two hearts, middle, Azula Carlson, technically not a Kiwi, but we claim her, absolutely fine. Second middle because I'm greedy. Ben Hurley, closer, flight of the Concords. And Katie also writes, tell Ed Gamble to hush. The format worked. Perfectly. Thank you. Well said, Katie. We cannot emphasize this enough. Ed was uh, Ed was obviously just pulling our legs. Hello, Ed. Uh, we love you a great deal. We will bring on a comedian we love enormously both on. And I'll tell you what, I was, I, I've told this story before on stage. I was once, uh, I was doing a set and the MC introduced me and said, I reminded myself of this, someone we love on and off stage. And I, I never met this MC before I've never before or since never seen her and she goes your next act someone I love on and off stage I love hanging out with him you're gonna love him please welcome my great friend Andy Gill <laughs> oh dear I've got to start got to spend the first two minutes explaining that your name's not Andy Gill um <laughs> anyway without, without further ado uh someone we love enormously on and off stage Andy Fairburn no uh the maestro uh Check her out on tour, the great Rachel Fairburn. Right then, we're, we're joined by... Rachel Fairburn has been a, a, a comedy powerhouse for years, but I would say the relationship with Always Be Comedy has been relatively recent. And then I would say, right, Rachel, an accusation that gets levelled at Always Be Comedy is that Ed Gamble once said on stage <laughs> that we only book 12 acts and he felt that he was lucky that he was the only comedian we booked who, in our Rolodex, he's the only one with the letter G. That was like the gag at the time, right? <laughs> and the audience laughed, and I was stood at the back of the room laughing, but also, you know, and you know there's a kernel of truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I said to Ed recently, uh, not that I'm thin-skinned, and I remembered this barb from like seven years ago, but I said, just to ram home that gag, uh, Rachel Fairburn this week has played Always Be Comedy three times. And I, th I think you've done like the Monday, the Wednesday, and then the <laughs> Friday ones were, which, yeah. which is sort of like rubber stamped confirmation that once we love an act, they're sort of 
or they'll get sick of seeing us. So I, I guess what I'm saying in roundabout ways, just that thank you for being so brilliant. I like that. Thank you. I'm happy to take the gigs, mate. I think that's how it should be. <laughs> Good. That's wonderful. Now, the, the, the tour, I've got to say, any comedian enjoys looking at a, a, a photo shoot when someone announces a tour. Uh, and so, you know, some photo shoots are, are better than others. And, and, you know, you know, I'm not, I point the finger at myself as much as anyone else there. However, mate, yours, that's one of the great photo shoots, the glitz and glam with the tower, the Blackpool tower in the background. Please talk us through it. Cause I felt you absolutely nailed that. Well, so the, the new tour is called Showgirl. And I don't, I don't know why I wanted this, but it's something I've thought about for ages. Even before I was like a professional comedian, I just always wanted once in my life to wear a showgirl outfit. I don't know why. It's just one of those things I thought, fancy trying one of them on. And uh, and then I was coming up with a new tour and I just wanted to have something just simple. You know, like, I want to call it showgirl. I want to just wear that. But also, because I live in London now, but I am from Manchester and Blackpool to me when I was growing up was the best place. It's, I think it's still great. The best place in the world. If we're going to Blackpool, excited, couldn't ever wait to get there. The sort of, I used to find it very sort of glamorous. I mean, we know it's a bit shit, but I love that. I just love that kind of, I love Blackpool for the vibe of like, you know, entertainment. It's a bit old school. It's a bit shabby now, but everything's exciting and fun. And you know, you're going to have a good time. That's what I like. And Blackpool Tower used to be the thing, we'd go to Blackpool, and it, we do that thing, first one to see the tower, woo, you know, you get 50p Mate. or whatever. Yeah. And just when I used to see Blackpool Tower, it would be like excitement, brilliant. And I'm not even talking as a kid, I'm talking like as I grew up. Like before I moved to London, we used to, me and my mates used to go to Blackpool like three times a year, maybe more. We just loved it. Sometimes we'd have impromptu trips there, like it's a nice day. Should we go to Blackpool? Let's go, right? Loved it. And I just knew that on my poster, I wanted Blackpool Tower in it for some reason. And uh, so I went up to Blackpool to actually have the pictures done with Drew Forsyth, who's a brilliant photographer. Uh, he's done, he's based in Manchester and he's done a few things for one of my podcasts or Killer No Filler. He's done a few sort of photo shoots for that. And I just thought, I'm going to ask Drew again. He's very good. Uh, and him and his team, he's got, he got his, uh, two assistants. He's got a light, a girl who holds the lights and a girl that does the makeup. And they're all so nice. And it was just such a nice day. But the weather was shit. Imagine that. It was raining. It was high winds it was freezing cold and the, the shots that we wanted we couldn't get and I was like, oh, bloody hell, what a waste of time this has been you know but one last try drew was driving us back to the hotel so i could go and get changed and go home to london and uh he we stopped in a i think it was a little car park or something so a shop car park and he said right i think we can get the tower in the background here i stuck my head out of the window and that's where we got the that picture from with the tower in the back and it's it just it was it's i couldn't even even imagined a better picture and he absolutely nailed it now i might have read too much into this but say (laughs) black but blackpool to me and i'm the same as you you know that first one see the tower spot on i was not i was nodding away as you were saying that 100 so blackpool on the surface it's the glitz it's the glam and then you scratch the surface and it's Hindus being sick into a traffic cone. It's fist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> leave, leave him, Tony. He's not worth it, right? It's all. It's all that. But that that to me is Rachel Fairburn. In that there is. The, no, listen, no one's got more. No one has a more immaculate do than you. But then the <laughs> but then the gear. There is there is such wonderful darkness 
to the gear. So I just I wonder if that had, had played a part. I think so, definitely. I think maybe maybe underlying, I think that was probably part of um, it because that is very true about me. People, I think, make assumptions about me how I'm, what I'm going to talk about from when I walk on. You know, cause I go through phases of like sometimes I really like to dress up on stage, and sometimes I just cannot be asked. But I will always have my hair done and my makeup done. Always, you will not. And I think this is a very working class thing. Actually, you will never see a working class person in public on you know when they know they're going to be in front looking scruffy just won't happen middle class people oh my god some of them like they crawled out of a bin and they've got no shame you know um so i I like to i also like to make an effort and and look good on stage and then i think sometimes people think i'm going to be a certain way and then when i talk about some of the things that i talk about because i I didn't realize that i did dark humor i don't think you start i think i'm cynical really i don't think i'm dark i mean i can't i mean i've written some jokes that i'm like i can't say that now i don't put words in your mouth here but i'm guessing this this show from what i've seen this is this is your this is your finest work to date isn't it well i I, I bloody hope so because i tell you what (laughs) i i uh you know you sort of you do shows and then i mean this is how it should be isn't it everything should you should look back on your last show and go it was good yeah but this one's better that's how it should be. You know, my very first show that I ever did in like 2014, at the time I was like, oh, brilliant, I can't believe I've done a show. And now when I look back, I go, well, good for you, but that was that was shit, mate. Um, and you've, well, not shit, but, you know, that was very you at the time of being quite new and all the rest of it. And it, and then that's how it should be. I, I would say this show, this is one thing I will say, I've had a better, t- I'm having a better time working on this. This has been the most relaxed and happy I've been writing a show and I think that's because I'm not going to the Edinburgh Fringe because I don't have that pressure in the background that not just, you know, not just pressure to have, have something ready for a certain day, but just the pressure of, of not having that financial stuff hanging around in the background, worrying about that, not having the, oh, I've got to be away for a month. And I've just taken that completely off me. And it's so weird. I found all the struggles that I had writing shows in the past which were always like I can't learn this I don't know it and putting more obstacles in my way they've all gone so I'm just like I'm enjoying trying this new material I'm having a good time I'm loving working on it and I think and I'm actually looking at my stuff going do you know I'm really enjoying writing this I think this is gonna be really good and this positivity is quite rare for me because I am quite a cynical person but I do think it's because I've taken the pressure of, of Edinburgh out of the equation and I'm just, like, more relaxed. And, and also, I think that means that the gear is just going to flow that much better because otherwise it's almost like yes. you can't breathe because you're choking through the pressure, you know. Um, whereas that, That's exactly what it is, yeah. Because I was, was going to say, I have this thing where, I think because like when I left school at 16 and I've, I've worked since I left school and I've had, like, loads of shit jobs and stuff, and I've got this thing of like worrying that people think I'm being lazy. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think when you're from a family of grafters, you constantly like, it looks like I'm not doing anything, but I'm actually working. I'm constantly like, like I think so much about my show. Some days I'll just be like sat on my bed with my eyes closed thinking. And then like if your boyfriend walks in, I'm going, I am actually working, you know, because <laughs> there's so much thinking involved, I think, in stand up. That it's not just, you know, sitting at a desk or whatever. But I'm even more, you know, more relaxed about that as well. So I, I mean, I'm thinking more. 
I, I, I'm in total agreement there. I also, I, we, we, you and I obviously know comedians who never had a proper job. So I don't want to, oh, I, I, yeah. so I, so I don't want to sound like I'm having a pop at them because some of them are uh, our friends. However, <laughs> on a personal level, I'm, again, I don't want to sound too cheapy here, but I'm very grateful that I had quote proper jobs because I think you need that experience to, to draw upon because you've experienced a office politics or you've experienced Tony from accounts being snide or whatever, you know, it's, yeah. um, it, it, do you know what I, mean? I, I sort of need that anger in my locker in a way, you know? Yes, absolutely. And also I'm, I'm glad I've had proper jobs because it, it makes me, I love how we say proper jobs <laughs> with, um, <laughs> let you say we've experienced all that stuff, but we've also experienced being somewhere I mean, when I think back to the, my last sort of job I had in Manchester, which I worked in a library, and when I look back, I go, my God, I was so miserable. It affected every area of my life. I worked with miserable people. Not all of them. Some of them, I mean, some of them are still my mates, you know. I work, but I, the, the money I was earning, I'm like, how did I live on that wage? I don't know how I managed. No wonder I was miserable. Um, the Just having to get up in the morning, at like quarter past six in the morning to get on a bus in the pissing down rain to go to a job that you don't want to be at with people you don't want to be with, with customers that are awful. It's, I think to have experienced that kind of thing makes you, I mean, there's not a day that I regret being a stand-up comedian, you know? Exactly. <laughs> there's not one day that I wake up and go, <laughs> And also, you need to be relatable. Oh, my God, absolutely. I mean, it, I I don't know how some people i mean what, what what have you got to talk about you've you've never you've never been in the, the real world you've constantly been in this bubble of egos it doesn't you need to have done something i think you need to have done something experience real stuff you can't go on stage and go car can't believe it when your butler forgets to chop the crust off your yeah. toast <laughs> crowd like throwing chairs at your head yeah uh, it's mad it's it's just so bizarre i mean it's just like you've got, to, you've got to live life, you know, like sometimes with, with comedy as well. I always think some days I'm like, oh, do you know what? I'm not even going to think about comedy today. I'm going to go out and do something I want to do. Because unless you do, don't do stuff like If you don't do stuff like that, you've got nothing to talk about. If you don't experience things, what can you talk about? There's nothing to talk about. Now, I'm going to give, I'm going to give you, it's a compliment. It's a very lazy compliment. Oh, wait, up here we go. But I was, I was singing your praises to someone who works in comedy recently. And I said, the, the, the obvious comparisons will be, Carolina Hearn, and I know you will, uh, but then, but then again, a compliment cannot be higher than that. Now, the reason no. why you're going to get that compliment, it, but it, it's the, it's, uh, the Manchester, the, the, the twang, uh, working class, the quality yeah. of the writing, the delivery. I mean, you, to be honest, you won't change any of those things, but I take it. You've had that for many a year, that comparison. Yeah. It's really weird as well, because, um, a few people, you said it to me before I started doing stand up. I remember, this was so weird, like, I remember it, I was out on a night out in Manchester when I was about, about 20, 21, and it's, it was about two in the morning, I was waiting to go home and waiting for a taxi, and this woman at a bus stop was like, do you know who you remind me of? You remind me of that Carolina Hearn. And I was like, all right. So I've had it even before yeah. I started doing comedy. But yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Carolina Hearn. I've got um. I've got a framed print of her as Sister Mary Immaculate in my living room. Oh my god! The TV. So oh my you know, god! Could not be 
happier with that comparison. When I started out, I was quite because I mean, so I used to be so shy, and it, like in general, I mean, I'm quite a shy person now. The thing is, no one ever believes me now because of, of doing stand up. But obviously, over the years, I've got more confident. But when I was a lot younger, and from being a kid, I was such a shy child, and I just, you know, I wouldn't speak to anyone. I was very sort of, I would even look at me, that kind of thing. It was, it was quite bad when I think back. <laughs> um, but I th- and then when I started stand up, I used to be quite deadpan. And I used to have that thing of like, I remember um, I did the So You Think You're Funny semi-final, uh, probably only about six months after I'd started gigging. And I was, I was dog shit in it, terrible in it. <laughs> and uh, honestly, it was terrible. I remember the next morning I was like, oh, why do I feel like crying? Oh, because that was horrible. Oh, um, it was horrible, yeah. And that, But afterwards, this someone who works within comedy came up to me and he, they weren't very nice to me. And uh, he said, well, what is this? Are you a character? I was like, well, no, I'm a person. You know, I, what, what the fuck am I meant to say to that? Um, so that stuck in my mind. And then, yeah, I was really sort of deadpan, really sort of, I do sort of like one weird one line of things. I'd say maybe I was a bit surreal at points. Yeah. Um, and that's how I started out. But then... You know, I sort of, and I used, I used to be so nervous before gigs. Oh my god! I was actually thinking about this just the other day because I was in Newcastle at the weekend doing um, Newcastle stand, and I was doing new material on the Sunday, and I uh, really enjoyed it. And it's always a good gig there. It's all you know, the staff are lovely, the rooms lovely, everything's perfect. But I remember when I got my first weekend at the stand, probably about seven years ago, maybe. And I was so nervous. I spent the entire day before bursting into tears because I was so nervous. Yeah. And I used to just be like consumed with this anxiety and and like so stressed about everything and thinking, I don't want to do this. And then I'd be sitting and I'd, all I could do all day was look at my notes and, and, and write and think, oh God, I can't believe I'm doing this and feel physically sick, not be able to. Why was I putting myself through it? This is what I used to think. But And I would say, since starting Old Killer No Filler, which... The podcast that I do with Kira Pritchard McLean about serial killers, which is 10 years old next year. How has that happened? Um, that's when I started to realise what the things that I did that were funny that people found funny. So from just being my actual self. That's incredible. And chatting, I used to be like, oh, right, people really find that funny when I'm like that for some reason. Wow, that's and it's just, and it was, so I sort of just remember, and then I found it easier to write going, okay, well, that's, people like it when I'm pissed off. People find it funny when I'm annoyed about something. Because usually I'm annoyed about something that they've been annoyed about, but I haven't mentioned. And I'm, I'm easily annoyed. And to me, that's what comedy is, is it not? It's, I think the funniest things are when someone's pissed off. There's nothing funnier than someone being pissed off. There's so when I started... You- so I was about to say the stuff on this, the stuff you've done, and it's so right recently, and it comes from your heart and your soul because it's something that's I'm not going to say what it is obviously because I don't want to burn your gear, but it's <laughs> something that so clearly legitimately pissed you off that it is, it is utterly hilarious. You're, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. But here's here's the other thing. This is what really bugs me. So on my last show, can I be awful? I, and I don't I don't re- read reviews. I, well, I do because what happens with me is. I don't read a review that might be four or five. I look for the three and I read the three. And I don't know why I do this. 
I, I shouldn't read any of it. But he reviewed me and he said something like, she's, the way she is, it's like she's trying to, um, and he didn't mean this as a compliment, she's trying to um, crack a walnut with a sledgehammer. Yeah, that that's the point of the thing, you absolute dweeb. Like, is that not the point? Like, the, the point is I'm annoyed at, at little things and the little things sound stupid because I'm so annoyed about them. Yeah, but that, that's that, kind of... And also, that's what people in the audience, that's what upsets people. In the, so so exactly. we've all got mates who they'll come up to you and you, and you look at them and you think, oh, God, they've 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 gone through some sort of atrocity. And I, mean, I, I can't name a name. There's a mate of mine on the school run and she told me a story and she was so cross. I can't say what it is because if she listens, she'll know I'm talking about her. It was the most trivial thing ever. But it's the little things that what, that upset all of us, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And I, but I just, you know, and I, and I don't want to be that person, but I genuinely thought to myself, do you know what? If I was a man, he wouldn't have an issue with that. And I don't know why that is. And there's just so many things that I think as a, a comedian who happens to be a woman, I just feel that there's so many little things that I do that aren't... Ex- I don't think I'm a particularly what people expect of a female comedian. In, in many ways, you know, because I think people have this stupid, outdated view of, of what women who do comedy talk about. When actual fact, they talk about all different things because they're just actually just people. Yeah. But I, I do think there's this sort of snobbery still within comedy, particularly with the reviewers, because let's face it, all reviewers are middle class men, aren't they? And I, I think there's, you know, a lot of snobbery sort of. It's like I answered some questions for The Guardian, like a Q&A thing. And I, and I would just answer the questions. And all I said was, there's a lot of comedians doing shows about big, serious topics, but a lot of it seems to forget to be funny. You can talk about whatever you want as long as it's funny. So this is what I said. Fuck me. Did I get a barrage of abuse from, like, middle-class Guardian readers? I know who she's talking about. She's talking about James Acaster. Was I? <laughs> I wasn't talking about anybody. I was just talking in general. Hang on a minute. And also, Acaster... But the shows, shows are purely funny. Yeah. Acaster exactly. shows, first and foremost, are just because I'm with I'm with you. And if James was here, he'd say the same. It's all about the funny. And, and like Norm MacDonald would say it as well. The the most important thing is is funny. That's all that matters. If if your show is just a message, do a fucking TED talk. Exactly, exactly. So do you know, in fact, I was complaining about this this very morning to my boyfriend who is not involved in comedy in any way, shape, or form. And sometimes I just think he's like, okay, <laughs> like yeah. he's a he's a producer, but it works. It, it makes TV adverts. Yeah. So it's funny because when I say my boyfriend's a producer, loads of comedians go, oh, oh, oh. I'm like, no, he can't do anything for you. Yeah, sure. My email address is. Uh... Yeah, exactly. I'm like, makes TV adverts. So it's like this morning I said to him, I can't remember what set me off. You know, I saw something and I just said, do you know what? I said in any other line of work, I said, you know, the one thing in comedy, the one thing is you have to be funny. That is the one thing. That should be the one rule that you have to abide by. You have to be funny. And 85% of these people, I say, I didn't say people. I said the C <laughs> word. I said 85% of these people are just walking in and not doing the one thing that they're meant to do. I said, if a surgeon had an 85% death rate, he would not be allowed to work. I ju- and, it, and I get that comedy is subjective. That is another thing. I understand that. I watch some acts and I go, 
it's not for me. I don't find it funny, but I can see why that is good comedy. You know, I can be objective. I can look at people that I don't like and go, yeah, that was funny. But I know, after doing this for so long, I know when somebody isn't funny in any way, shape or form. And I think, you know, if you're approaching comedy, instead of, if you're going out there to basically, and I've seen this happen so often, bollock the audience. Why are you going out there having a go at them for things they can't help? You know, why are you telling people off? It's not their fault. Yeah, I have a, I have a dig at, at middle-class people, right? But I also take the piss out of myself. You know, and I, but I just think when people come out into an, to, to talk to an audience, just bollocking them and talking about, if you're going to talk about very heavy issues, it better be bloody funny. Because I'm watching stuff and I'm going... Well, everyone in this room just feels uncomfortable now. Yeah, that whole finger wagging comedy—I've never—I've never got that. Oh, but it's not comedy, is it? It's not—you you, know—if you're the audience member, you're done, like, "I've come out for a night out, mate." Well, people have done comedy about serious things very, very well. Like Alexis Sale spoke about a lot of serious stuff, but was really is really funny with it. You know, it can be done, but I just feel that there's a lot of, uh, you know. God, the world, I'm here to just, you know, reaffirm your views on it. And I cannot be doing with it. I just think, go and do anything else. Go. Now, I I sense that um, comedy was a calling for you, wasn't it? You're not, you're not one of these people who were, uh, yeah, I think I'll give stand-up comedy a crack. I, I sense that this is something <laughs> that has sort of like been in your bones from... from uh, from from the womb, I'm guessing. Well, w- worst uh, thing ever. I, I genuinely, this this, to me, if if you just said to me when I was about eight years old, you'll be a stand up comedian, I'd be like, well, that is the most ridiculous thing anyone's ever said, because the the one thing in my life that I've, that has ever been constant, well, two things, uh, anything supernatural, yes, please. Anything ghosty, anything scary, that's for me. Secondly, comedy. So when I was a kid. My mum used to, um, she'd video comedy off the TV. So she had like the young ones uh, and stuff like that. And I used to just watch the young ones a lot. And she had to stop me watching it because I started repeating stuff from it. So she was like, well, better stop watching it. So I knew all the lines off by heart. And I used to watch any, anything that was comedy. You know, I'd watch Never the Twain. <laughs> I'd watch, um, what was it, Fresh Fields, was it? I'd watch that. Rachel. I remember I'm... there was, do you ever remember the Mate, BBC what the listener can't see is my jaw is on the desk because I was the exact. <laughs> I'm like a toddler. I was recording. Yeah. I I was watching stuff that a young child should not have been. And like, yes. And I can I can verify this because I can remember or I can remember vividly shows that were on in the early '80s when I was a child. But I was obs- obsessed with comedy from the off. Looking yes. back now, like I shouldn't have been watching the stuff I was what like. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, I, I shouldn't have. I sorry for chiming in there when you were mid flow. No, that's I, fine. But, I could not. You, you are speaking to my very essence here. Yeah. Also, uh, I remember when the BBC. You do you remember so haunt me that there was a BBC comedy about a haunted house and it had a Jewish ghost called Mrs Feldman. Yep. Uh, loved that. Tessa Pete Jones have... from Only Fools was the mother in it, wasn't she? Yes, she was. Yes, she was. I remember. Do you remember Frank Skinner's sitcom My Blue Heaven? Yes. Loved that. Um. There's a great, si- there's a there's a tremendous scene at the end of one of those episodes where his mate's about to dob him in, 
accidentally and Skinner's like looking at him as if say please don't do this and then Skinner panics and he just punches the friend in the face to stop him talking do you remember that <laughs> Uh, you know what? I've never revisited it. I'm going to go and find it, you know. So, oh, but, so now, before I rudely um, jumped in there, you, 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 you'd said Fresh Fields that you would watch a show such as that. So that, was, that was Anton Rogers. Yes. That was an ITV yes. sitcom, wasn't it? Yes. So and, then that. and there was a spin-off, French Fields. French Fields. Um, I absolutely loved, and still love to this day, Keeping Up Appearances. Oh, it's one of one of so the most funny. underrated. I say underage. I think she was BAFTA nominated probably multiple times. Actually, her performance in that sitcom and the physicality she pulls off. There's one where she's trying to catch multiple <laughs> ornaments and ends up going over the sofa. She, she's so good, so good, and it's so funny. Is it Pr- Patricia like Routledge? Is that is that? Yeah, Patricia Routledge. Um, who, what was the other stuff that I used to watch? Um, One Foot in the Grave, yeah. so funny. One Foot in the Grave. Mate, there's a scene in One Foot in the Grave where Annette Crosby is looking after an elderly man who is part... I think he's blind. Do you remember this? I think I do, yeah. And she keeps going around to do the cleaning and he keeps asking... I'm going to make myself cry here. He keeps asking if... I think it's her daughter. I think the daughter's moved to Australia or something. He keeps asking, has the daughter written... And she keep and it's always like a bill, and she's never written. And then this was one foot in the grave was hilarious, but the pathos was phenomenal. And he keeps going, huh? and there was there was always like hope in his face. Has she written? Aww. And she oh 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 no. And then she goes, has, he, has she written? No. And then to make the oh my god, to make the man feel better, he goes, has she written? And it's a it's a bill from Brit. It's a British gas bill. And she go, and she opens it and she goes, y- y- yes yes she's written. And she styles it out and she fakes reading out this beautiful letter from the daughter and the camera cuts to the man and he's crying tears of joy. Oh. That's one of the best, it's one of the best scenes. That's really nice, isn't it? Oh my, I mean, that that you've picked a, for me personally, you've picked a a God tier show with one one foot in the grave. I thought it was brilliant. What was that? There's always the episode that I can't ever remember, but there was like the one with the ventriloquist dummy, wasn't there? Yes. And and I, I remember the ending of that. I just remember laughing so hard. Also, and I know people are really snobby about it, and I don't know why, Doughboy falling through the bar is funny. Do you know when he falls in, you know, you know, and people go, oh, yeah, Doughboy falling through the bar, oh, that's the funniest moment, is it? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, because it's funny. When I saw that as a kid for the first time, I laughed so hard. And I nearly... Oh died laughing I, I remember the whole family seeing that in the lounge and yeah i mean almost almost like inducing heart attacks yeah like it, it seeing that for the first also and i'm not i'm not a big monty python fan at all it's not really my bag I, there's bits of it that i find funny are you gonna say fish dance no when i saw the ministry of Fun- silly walks for the first time i just remember like as a kid i couldn't stop it was so so funny to me that first time of seeing it. So those two things, you know, Del Boy falling through the bar and that just killed me as a kid. I also loved um, Looney Tunes cartoons, still do. Mate, Conan O'Brien, Jim Carrey, Robin Williams, I'm sure there are others as well, they have all credited the Looney Tunes, really? Chuck, Chuck Jones, all those cartoons with... 
infusing their comedic sensibilities. And I, and I'm, I'm in total agreement. Dan, Daffy Duck is one of the funniest cartoon characters. A great comedy character. Of all time. So, so funny. Impotent rage. So funny. Um, Porky Pig. You feel sorry for him. For his funny. Violent, but very funny, all of it. So good. Uh, f- phenomenal. And I know that Jim Carrey found out just before Chuck Jones passed away that Chuck Jones did not was not a fan of Jim Carrey. Imagine that. Really? <laughs> Imagine saying that someone's like your hero and then your hero saying back, I don't rate you. Oh, no. How Burst awful. into tears. Um, well, now, before we get to... I, I, I've got so many, so many things that, that I want to ask. Now, all I've got to say, the, the, there's, this, there's this school of thought that, say, a, a podcast can help with ticket sales. Now, for, so, for example... I've appeared on, David Earl has a podcast, My New Football Club, and of the things I've done, his podcast is like unquestionably the thing that if, if I'm, it happened with, Tim and I were out recently, and a guy in Soho came over and, and mentioned My New Football Club, right? There's a documentary about the comedy store in LA, and they talk about it on that. However, what I'm getting at in a very roundabout way, you, my friend, you are the OG, you're a, you are the trailblazer, because as you say, all killer no filler is... 10 years old next year yeah i mean you were you were you were the first dudes on the moon in that regard weren't you yeah we were i mean i think we we started it we didn't expect anyone to listen to it and then we were like oh people are listening this is good uh, and then it started to get bigger and bigger we did an american tour with it um, my god which you know amazing <laughs> think, which is really funny to me because i always think you know, when, when everyone's going about podcasts now, going, oh, they, everyone's doing this, blah, blah, brilliant, brilliant. It's like, yeah, we did it ages ago, but yeah. nobody ever. And I think it's because we're women, but, you know, that's fine. Um, so we, we've done that. It's so, and it's it helped so much with ticket sales. You know, uh, people did start buying tickets to see me more from that. And it's, yeah, it's just been brilliant for that. It's been so good. The podcast has been so good. And I think any podcast, any any comedian, that's sort of newish, you know, maybe, and looking to get better, get funnier, and find their voice, as it were. I think a podcast is definitely the way to do it. It, it definitely makes writing easier. It makes you find out what it is about you that's funny. It, it helps you. It gets it gets you more confident. I'd say the podcast definitely made me more confident. The, the, as the I world say, I used to be so nervous. But and also the the world has changed in that. So like you know, you just said there. People listen to the pod. They buy tickets off the back of the pod. Mm-hmm. A, a mate, a mate of mine, did a TV show. In terms of the world being different now, they had to check the listings the next day to to check that the episode had gone out because there had been <laughs> there had they had z- like literally zero traction off the back of the TV show. Whereas wow. You can, well... Whereas you can appear on a pod, and it, you know it can it can have all sorts of. Well, this is it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the, the other thing is, it's like, you know, sort of people in TV go on about, you know, I mean, I've done little bits and bobs of TV and stuff like that. And, you know, they, they say, oh, it's not, you know, these people need this, that, that. And then you think about it, you go, well, the podcast that I do has more listeners than that TV show has viewers. Yeah. It, it's the, it, people are just finding their own way of engaging with things. I wish when I was, so when I look back to when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, oh my God, if podcasts existed, I'd have been in my element. Like this, you know, 
all I like to listen to, really. You know, I listen to com- a few comedy podcasts, and I listen to I listen to this podcast. I won't listen to this one because I'm on it. Um, but I listen to any like spooky stuff, true ghost stories, you know, monsters, myths, legends, anything like that. And there's so many podcasts about it now. I'm like, God, if they had this when I was a teenager, I would just have absolutely loved it. You know, any anything you want to listen to, any subject you want to listen to, you can find it now, can't you? And I, this is where I think TV really needs to catch up, really. I think they're so far behind who, you know, who people want to, not necessarily, you know, the, the people that they could put, there's so many huge podcasts out there of, of people that they could just put on TV and people would watch it but going, oh, brilliant, my favourite pod's on the TV or, oh, this person from that podcast on this, you know, that, that's, I just think, you know, podcasts are well ahead of, of everything at the moment, I think. Has there ever been talk, I mean, there must have been, of an all-killer, no-filler TV show? There's been a bit of chat, a bit of stuff, and there's a few, you know, we have a few meetings and stuff like that, and we've come up with a few ideas, but I don't know. I just think that, you know, I'm going to come back to this, and I, I don't want people to think that I'm being very, like, oh, it's because I'm a woman. I think there is a bit of a thing of their frightened to put two women on something. So, for example, if you think we've had Mel and Sue, and we had French and Saunders. And I'm trying to think of two women who have an existing friendship or relationship to put them on something. It doesn't happen. Whereas with, and don't get me wrong, I think these blokes are brilliant. You know, I, I fucking, I love uh, the combination of Romesh and Rob Beckett. It's a great combination. You know, I think, of course, Lucy Beaumont and John Richardson are great together. I think... You know, it, there's there's so many, you know, great combinations of people. But what we I think what we have now is we we tend to have two blokes who are mates who are comedians, or a bloke and his wife, or a bloke and his mum, <laughs> or a bloke and his a comedian and his dad. You know, there seems to be like that. But they don't really put two comedians who are women together on on things, and I don't know. Why that is, you know, you, you don't really get, oh, is, you know, let me try and th- let me just pull a name out of there. Um, why not Esther Manito and her, her mum or something, you know what I mean? Something like that. Why not? Or, or why not two comedians who are friends? I mean, why why not Esther Manito and Lily Phillips doing something? They do a podcast together, get them on something, you know. Put, put me and Kiri together to do something. I think the only thing we've been on together is was pointless celebrities, but that doesn't really count. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? I just think there's a, a lack of... And, and also that the reason that a lot of women, particularly, listen to female-led podcasts is because they get to hear conversations the way they talk to their mates, you know, because people have this idea that, you know, what do women talk about? Well, we talk about the same things as men. You know, we swear... We talk about rude stuff. We say all different kinds of things. We're, we're humans who talk about different subjects. I just feel that there is this unwillingness to to somehow they see it as somehow a risk to put two women on something. Sort of. What, what? I think I, the only female, the only two women I can think that host something together on TV is Claudia Winkleman and Tess Daly on Strictly. The, I know. I know. I know a couple of. Comedians who are women who piloted and were you know a couple of juggernauts and they piloted something they, and they couldn't get that away. 
I, swear, yes. why, why, I wonder why, why is it you think I've got and I, I'm the warm up on this show so there's, there, I've got to say there's Unforgivable with, with Mel Gedroich and Lou Sanders yes but I but I would say that the fact that I've named that is pr- only makes your point because that is like it's almost like the exception that is proving the rule isn't it yeah uh, the show you mentioned there Claudia Winkleman and Tess Daly obviously that is that is not a comedy you know that's it's not a comedy yeah. show yeah exactly I mean I, I, it's comedy but I'm just thinking you know there's you know when you think when the, you remember when the girly show came out, and it was it was it Sarah Cox, Zoe Ball, uh, who, who else? I can't remember. Sarah Kaywood. I think it was yeah Sarah Kaywood. Yes. So that that was on like Channel Four, ten at night on a Friday in the nineties, wasn't it? Yeah, and that was seen as yeah. wild and and different and ooh look at these women being rude and oh yeah ladette culture and all that. So if that wasn't that long ago and that still that was seen as like oh look at these women on television oh gosh women gone wild isn't it mad i don't know if that is still that's still a hangover from that i don't know i just, but, I just and think- also that show was 26 years ago 26 years ago so we've so <gasps> we've so we've gone backwards in that's fair wow. to say it feels like we've taken a backward step in 26 years yeah i just think there's so many great comedians out there so many funny women and just you know take the chance and put them on you know it's I don't know why it is I can't fathom why it is because what they always say is that's what they want and then they chat with you about that that's what they want and then you never hear anything else but I, I just feel like it's oh well we, we tried but you know I don't know who knows I mean the thing is that the podcast sells out huge venues, gets hundreds and hundreds of thousands of listeners. People love it. People enjoy it. People buy tickets to come and see you off the back of it. I don't know. I'm happy with that. I mean, great. Let's, I'd love to see how far we could take it, but I don't know. I would say, uh, you know, I would say, um, I, w- I always think I'm some sort of like self-help guru, but I, w- I would say you, you continue to do brilliantly well. I mean, there's the, there is that, you might have seen it, there's a documentary series about the history of the comedy store in LA. Yes, I've seen it. And there's the bit where Nikki Glaser says she do, she does Dancing with the Stars, which is America's strictly act. Listener, I know you know that, and I'm sorry for, that was patronising, <laughs> and I apologise. She did Dancing with the Stars, which in case you didn't know, is the American version of, and she said, she did Joe, she did one episode of Joe Rogan's podcast, didn't she? And she had more yeah. traction off the back of the solitary Joe Rogan appearance than she'd had. And hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a champion of Joe Rogan. I'm just passing on the story, guys. Okay. Um, she did. Uh, she had more traction off that one episode than she'd had off the entire series of yeah. Dancing with the Stars. And that that one anecdote, I guess, encapsulates where things are. I guess these days. Well, that's it. And also, I think maybe that TV tends to get the same people and stick with them for ages and ages and ages. And don't they don't take a chance as much as they should, in my opinion, on newer talent. I mean, not just in comedy, in, in loads of other stuff. It's like it seems to be, be especially with music programs as well. Don't get me wrong, you've got your stalwarts who I love, but there doesn't seem to ever no. It doesn't feel like anyone's coming through the ranks anymore, in many many ways and in different genres as well. It's like oh right, okay, that's the person who does that. They're the music person. They're the comedy guy. This is this. This is that. And I, and I think it's the same kind of thing as well. Like they'll get hold of a northerner and they're like, "Well, we've got the northerner, we've got that one. That's that's that done. 
We've got our northern voice. I would like to think that people listening to this podcast, beating their chest, screaming, um, <laughs> shouting yes, queen. I, I, I don't know. But what I would say is, <laughs> so if you Google Rachel Fairburn tour, you buy, t- you buy your tickets however you like. However, if you find the Phil McIntyre website, which is mcintyre-ents.com, uh, I can't believe I'm doing the full URL. We, we will share this when the pod goes out. Basically, if, you, if you'll find Rachel Fairburn's show that way. Rachel Fairburn, showgirl. There are dates. All the quotes, the star rating, the credits speaks for itself. Manchester Opera House, 9th of September, and then running through uh, around the country. Oh, the Ark at Winchester, wonderful. Uh, Leicester Square Theatre, London people, 20th of October. There's loads. Corby, Birmingham, Exeter. Anyway, culminating, Cardiff Glee Club, 12th of November. So a wonderful run all around the country. Uh, If you Google Rachel Fairburn Tour or Rachel Fairburn Showgirl Tour, you will find all that. And then also, before we've not even got to, we've not even got to the the bones of the format of the podcast. However, (laughs) Rachel, you mentioned being scared by things. Uh, Yeah. So you've you've actually been able to do a podcast about one of your great loves with 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 Google Guides. I have, yeah, Google Guide. Um, I had so sorry, the, Google the Guide. Premise of it, Google Guide. Google Guide. The, premise, the premise of it is, and I think I've been watching a bit too too many um reruns of um you know unsolved mysteries and beyond belief fact or fiction. Uh, when I came up with the idea, which I came up with uh, in in a meeting under panic, but it worked. Um, well done. So basically, visit a haunted location. I don't know anything about it, and I get told three stories, and only one of the stories is true. And I've got to decide which one after a night of ghost hunting. Um, so I got to go and visit haunted places, which I, which I really enjoyed. Uh, uh, but yeah, very frightening. Have you have you seen a ghost? No. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. I've not seen one. I've, I've I've had weird experiences and gone, oh, that was weird. You know, that was a bit of a weird what thing to happen. Can't explain that. But uh, no, I've not, I've not seen. I don't want to. I think I'm too, I'm too frightened. Have you watched Ghost Watch with Sarah Green? Green. Have I watched it? Of course I have. I saw it when I was a kid. And so, as I say, I was a nervous child and I was very shy and I was frightened by everything. But I was, you know, no wonder because I was reading ghost books all the time and watching scary stuff. And uh, I wouldn't go to bed on my own for I was like so was it so my mum used to have to or my aunt gran and my granddad used to have to wait till I went to sleep and then leave the room right and um, started going to bed on my own fine watch ghost watch that was it oh my god traumatized I I don't think I'm misremembering here Des Lynam on match of the day so many people had phoned up the BBC to make sure Sarah Green was all right <laughs> that Des Lynam had to start match of the day by saying just assure viewers that Sarah is absolutely fine. You might have done, you know. If you, if you haven't I seen Ghost Watch, is it on? It used to be on YouTube. You've got it. You get it I've got it on DVD. Have you, have you got, got it on DVD? And you know, I was so excited about um, showing because I, you know, there's a generation. I mean, my boyfriend is five years younger than me. I know uh, he'd never seen it, so I was like, "You are good. Listen, prepare to be scared, mate. Let me tell you." Yeah, strap in. And I was like, oh, right, come on. He's like, oh, we're really excited about this. And he's like, that was shit. I was like, please don't. I'm sorry I shared it with you. You don't deserve this. He thought it was the biggest load of shit he's ever seen. But if he'd watched that aged 11 or whatever. Yeah, when it was on, because people don't need to realise it was just put on as a a genuine thing. 
as a live TV show. It was put on, it wasn't, people weren't told it was pretend, they weren't told it was actors. It was a bit like the War of the Worlds, wasn't it? The, uh, awesome. <laughs> that on the radio. So, uh, but Ghostwatch was so well done and it was the inclusion of Craig Charles because he yeah. was sort of playing it like, like a bit cynical and because, yeah. because, he, because he played it cynical as, the, as a child viewer, maybe I was like early teens, but it was like, oh, if Craig's like making jokes about it, then it must be real. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness! Here's the high-stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. He ties the game at the buzzer. And to crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals, presented by YouTube TV, begin Thursday, June 6th on ABC. Uh, right then, Rachel, if you if you are curating this this dream, this this fantasy gig, mm-hmm. you may have seen me with my pre gig rituals. Do you have any pre gig rituals? Um, I'm not as bad as I used to be because you know I used to be so nervous and, and stuff, and I, I wouldn't. I feel like well, I don't eat before gigs. Like I like let me. You know, breakfast. I, I eat during the day, but I, I can't be one of those comedians that eats before a gig. A bit superstitious in the sense of, you know, I always like to check that. I was, I always check my makeup constantly in my hair. That that's one thing. I was, I was worried that I've got stuff in my teeth or something like that. But I don't really have any rituals anymore. I, I used to, you know, write things out and sit quietly and, and do that. And now I'm just very much like, ah, oh, let's just do the gig. Um, but you should, you know, just just things like checking that your zip's not down, that kind of stuff. It's something I do always do. If I'm somewhere for the weekend gigging, I have to follow the same routine. Like in Edinburgh, for example, I have to do the same thing every day. I, yeah. I can't deviate from that. I have to get have to get changed. I have to be like, right, this is the time that I start getting ready for the gig. This is I go over my stuff here. Right, that's for an hour. Then I, I have to wear the same thing. I have to wear like it has to be the same. Has to be the same. Like if I'm for a tour, I will wear the same outfit. I will do the same thing. Like I'll go through my show for an hour before the show. I'll always, you know, like if I for some reason I, I went to well, well, no, what's it called? The place on the south coast with the fossils, Lyme Regis. Oh yeah. I went there in January and I went into like hippie crystal shop and I bought um, two crystals. Uh, and now before pretty much before every, every show, I have to hold them in my hands. So there you go. There's something that I've, cause I've genuinely got obsessive compulsive disorder as well. So my whole life is, is based around making sure things, you know, I've got a routine and stuff like that, but, but now I started holding these two bloody crystals. That's something that I have to do. So yeah. 
that's one one thing. There's we got whole... there. There's always something, isn't there? Well, just some, if this makes you feel any better, not that you need to, but anyway, once again, for the hundredth time this episode, you're singing to the choir. There's a bowl downstairs with crystals in it. My wife's, no, absolutely, hundred percent mine. My eldest daughter took one of the crystals out of the bowl recently, and I'm, I'm a, I consider myself a very good dad. I was like, <laughs> "Why have you taken the crystal out of the bowl? <laughs> put that back, <laughs> please put it back." Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm no stranger to having a glance at a crystal. Oh, yeah. and the seven-year-old, what has she now got into crystals? Really? Yeah. Nice. I yeah. like it. I can, I'd like to, when you're listening back to this, when you're older, I apologise that I got you into the magic of crystals. Uh, I like it. And then she, each nice. colour means a different thing. This one's for good luck. This one's for... So other people listening to her would think, no, it's not. I'm listening to her going, she's absolutely correct. She's got it. Um, I like right, it. Good. That's, a, that's, a, that's a great pre-gig ritual. Now, who would MC the gig? Well, I would like Steve Coogan to MC it as either Pauline Calf or Paul Calf. Or Partridge, if he decides. But I would really like um, Pauline Carth to MC the first section and then Paul Carth to MC the second. Rachel, I, I, I worry that our Venn diagrams are essentially just <laughs> a solitary circle. Can I, Sorry, I, I've never... I've, ne- I've never wanted to join in. Normally, I'll sit back and listen... I, Mate, you've just your hand has just reached into my chest and like pulled my soul out. <laughs> Did you see? I saw Saturday Saturday Zoo as a yes, as a yes, teenager, yes. and that's when I first saw Paul and Pauline Calf. Yeah. And it, did you not think it was like the most exciting thing ever? Yeah, I loved it because uh, I was it Jonathan Ross that presented yeah. that show. I remember it, yeah. And uh, I I just loved Paul and Pauline Calf. And the Paul Calf Diaries. Um, oh, my God. Loved that. Such a good... Pauline, though. I mean, Paul and Pauline Calf are just so underrated. And just I just feel like there's more to be done with them. You know, I love Partridge. Of course I do. He's my absolute favourite. But I just think we need more from Paul and Pauline. What's happened to them? What's happened in their lives? I want to know more. Why have they been so neglected? Get them back. Rachel, I... I'm close to pausing the podcast so I can give you a thunderous round of applause. <laughs> and all, give me more Duncan Thicket. Duncan Thicket, great character. I, I just, yeah, I just think with Paul and Pauline. Also, I've got um, I've got a framed picture of um, Paul Carf on my wall as well. There's British Culture Archive. This thing on um, Instagram do brilliant prints, and I've got a print of him from there. But um, Paul Carf is so, so funny, so funny. Pauline Calf, just, just everything, uh, but also he's quite sexy as Pauline. Steve Steve Coogan is so talented that I think of Paul and Pauline Calf as two separate human beings. Yes, <laughs> I, I think of I think of Paul Calf as a person who is Paul Calf that I could walk past him when I'm shopping in Penge or whatever, and Pauline Calf is a is a woman. Yes. Pauline Calf to me is, Calf, yeah. it is not a Steve Coogan comedy character. No. That, he nails that. It is it is extraordinary. The the Pauline Calf performance is it is you you've you've used the word already. It is underrated. Totally underrated. I want to know what they're up to. 
what's happened to Paul? I want to know where they are in life. I want to know what they're doing. I want to know more. Bring them back. And I would love him to, to host that as maybe we'd have Pauline in the first section. Oh, that'd be so the good. Exam, and then we, it could be Paul in the, in the latter section. Coogan's ability to change his, not just physicality and, I mean, but the, I mean, the, I know it, and obviously it's well known that he's a brilliant mimic, but the voice of Paul Carf and the voice of Paul, for me, if I'm trying to do a voice, it's, it's, it's pretty much a variation of this, right? Yeah, but yeah, he yeah. sometimes, he just, he becomes these other people, he's, yeah. are you like me, just an, almost obsessed with, with the talent of Steve Coogan? Yeah, I think he's amazing. I think he's incredible. And also the thing about that I love about Steve Coogan is where he's from, Middleton in Manchester. It's not that far from where I'm from either. So I, I love that as well. Amazing. Um, yeah, he's just brilliant. Just so talented. Just, I mean, he's it, it just, yeah, he's just funny. He's just good. He's good at what he does, isn't he? Also, I remember, um, you know, the man who thinks he's it. That was, was it recorded at the Palace, Palace Theatre in Manchester, the video? There is a DVD, there's a there's a sketch on The Man Who Thinks Is It that I will send to Tim Lewis to this day, and it's it's Steve Coogan being thin-skinned over a three-star review. Doesn't take risks. Doesn't <laughs> I'll tell you what risk would be. Meet me in a, meet me in a dark night. And then he goes, uh, and this is one of my, it's become a catchphrase of my own, and it's because I'm, th- I'm, I'm, I'm also thin-skinned, uh, and it's where he's read the review, and it's and he's clearly upset and he's furious and then he uses the liner. But the thing about me is, I don't let it bother me. Yeah. <laughs> and then he and then he spit. I think he spits on the paper and then goes. He goes. He goes I don't let it bother me because he is a fucking fucker. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, mate, the man who thinks he's it. Yes, Rachel, gl- glorious. Because because I got my mate at school, Laura, her mum and dad bought that on video and uh, we sort of used to, she'd lend it me, I'd give it her back, she'd watch it again, we'd just sort of pass it between each other. Um, that was our favourite. But it, but it was one of the things that everyone, at, when I was at school, all the kids loved um, Partridge. People, we loved it. All the kids in my class loved it. Um, people like Paul Carr, people like, so like, I don't know, I don't know if kids now miss out on that kind of thing because it wasn't, that was what was available on the TV, wasn't it? That's what we watched. So I think pretty much kids had a better sense of humour. This <laughs> echoes what you said in the intro, in that we, when we're, I mean, I'm quite, I'm, I'm a good deal old, old, older than you. I'm not, I'm not, what I means I'm not going to pretend that we're the same age. Hey, I, I bloody like rock and roll as well, kids. Am I right? Um, but, but like, as we're, as we're getting into comedy and our, and our formative years and so on, and then a show like Saturday Zoo comes on that is championing and introducing the world to people yep. such as Carolina Hearn and Steve Coogan before they were, you know, yep. Carolina Hearn and Steve Coogan, if you like. What a, what a gift, what a treat. But then in the very same breath, what a shame. I'm not sure that there, that, that there there's that sort of... Fr- no. I mean, Friday, Friday Live that won, that won the BAFTA recently, that did a great job of doing exactly that. But that, as it stands, that's a one-off special, isn't it? It's a shame that there's not more shows... Like that. I, I just think I think as well it comes to that thing of taking risks again, doesn't it? Sort of you know, there's some brilliant comedians on TV, but I just think and and also I hate it the, the the fact that TV thinks they know what people people want. But if you like Vic and Bob, people love Vic and Bob. They're national treasures. They're surreal humour. 
they wouldn't get on TV now, I don't think. It wouldn't happen. I think, you know, like, what I think is, like, producers, people in TV, ask comedians who they think are funner. Uh, actually, and also, to echo this point, the, the Big O Ven winning... Um... Yes, that that's a, that's a great. I mean, that's a really great thing there, and that's the that's the, you know the public have obviously played a huge part yeah. in that. So maybe that is proof that the public's tastes, the, the the public would quite like more risks to be taken. Perhaps I I totally agree. I mean, Harry Hill, surreal. Yeah. National treasure now, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Oh no, he is absolutely. Uh, right, phenomenal choice. Coogan as Paul as Pauline. And Paul Calf emceeing the gig, right? Okay, I've I've crashed the ticketing site by buy, trying to buy the first ticket, right? <laughs> so who, who's opening the gig? It's Victoria Woods opening. Jesus Christ, what a what a show this is! But, but what what we, what we've got is Victoria Wood, and I always think this about Carolina Hearn as well. I'd love to have seen what Carolina Hearn and Victoria Wood would have come up with now. What would they be talking about now if they hadn't have died? What what would be the things that they'd be joking about? What would they be writing? What what sketches would Victoria Wood be doing? Who would we be laughing at? You know, what would Carolina Hearn be? Uh, what characters would she be doing? Because I always think about Carolina Hearn. Obviously, we had Mrs. Merton. That was her being an old lady. But how great would she have been as an actual old lady? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. she would still have been funny and she'd have been laughing about things. So I'd love to see Victoria Wood. If she was still alive, what would we be getting from her? What songs would we get? What little monologues would we get? That's what I'd like to... What, and what Victoria Wood had was that magical cut through where, it's such a cliche, but ages 8 to 80, it doesn't matter who yeah. you were or where you were from, everybody loved Victoria Wood. Absolutely. And also... It's not just nice, light humour. There is some bitchy comments in it. The yeah. spikiness, you know? Yeah. Like, again, Patricia Routledge, when she did the Kitty character. Yeah. Oh, meow. Patricia Routledge fans are getting it. What a treat this episode is. Yeah. I mean, um, so I, 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 wanted to, I had to Google this because I wanted to get the name absolutely correct. And I'm glad I did because I, I think I might have got it slightly wrong. When I was a kid and I saw. The Ballad of Barry and Frieda. Yeah. <laughs> Listener, also known as the Let's Do It song. I probably wouldn't have even known what she was singing about when she, I would have been of an age. But, uh, you, you kind of, you know what I think it was about that? I think people knew it was, you knew it was about something naughty, but it wasn't dirty. You knew you're laughing at something cheeky, but the imagery is so silly. And it's a tune. It's a, it's a tune. tune. It's a stomper. So when people say to me, musical comedy shit, I'm like, Victoria Wood, mate, it's not. I mean, some of it is, don't get me wrong. But, <laughs> I mean, I, all right, okay, here's what, here's what I actually mean. When people say musical comedy is shit, I would say it's not shit, it's hard to do. I mean, your audience would probably know this. Comedians are a bit snooter about musical acts. I'd say we're snooty about musical acts when... It, piano, not so much. Piano, not so much. Huge Davies, great. Victoria Wood, amazing. Rachel Paris. Uh, Tim Minchin. It's the piano. Very good. You know it's going to be good. The guitar. 
you know what maybe it is? Maybe the guitar is easier to learn than the piano. And maybe we respect people who play the piano more than we do the guitar. But maybe there's more maybe there's more artistry because some of the guitar acts it's it can be quite rudimentary and it can also be just changing the lyrics of a popular song. Absolutely, we don't want that. Right, Victoria Wood, great choice, icon, gone too soon, mm-hmm. national treasure, funny bands, yep. f- phenomenal. What a, what a gift to the world. Middle section. Middle section. It's a, an act around now. It is Dan Cook. What you can't see is Tim Lewis doing a forward roll. You've just <laughs> named one of Tim's all-time favourite acts and favourite people. Dan Cook, again, funny bones. So funny. So, so funny. I saw him do... It was like me... Because we have the same agent, Jeanette. Lovely Jeanette. Yeah. And we got sent to do a showcase. I think it was like a five-minute tryout for... I think it might have been the Montreal Comedy Festival. Which, you know, one of those things that you go into, you go, well, I'm not going to get this, but, you know, let's just show our faces. And I'd never seen him perform before. And just for five minutes, I was like, that was so funny. Really enjoyed that. And then I saw him at tw- the gig together at 21 Soho. And I just was like, he's so funny. <laughs> and then I went to watch his show at Soho Theatre. And I'm thinking, why is Dan Cook not on television all the time? He's just so good. The way and that sort of deranged <laughs> look in his eye that's so unsettling as well. He's a great performer. He's strange. There's a mania there, isn't there? There's a mania. Like it's the the thing of a man on the edge whose whose life is like, well, life's not that bad actually, but I'm fucking sick of it. That kind of thing. Just brilliant. Love him. I just think he's fantastic. And he does, I know he's supporting Finn Taylor on tour at the moment. Love Finn, think he's great as well. But uh, he does these, re- <laughs> just these really funny Instagram videos where he's just like pretending to be a <laughs> shit comedian in front of no audience. It's just really funny. I d- and I just think the commitment to just being funny and a bit weird is brilliant. I love it. And he does that great thing of, Smiling on the outside. Oh, it's part of the act, obviously. Smiling on the outside, but, you know, on the verge of a nervous, a nervous breakdown. He's two centimetres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. Uh, do, you get, do you gig with him a lot? No, well, it's only um, in the past, sort of, I think I've gigged with him once and then been to, well, twice and then been to see him. Um, and I just one of those shows that I just couldn't recommend it more to anybody. I was like, and he did it in Edinburgh and I was watching it and I'm watching the show in the Soho Theatre going, this is an award-winning show. Why does it not have any awards? <laughs> like, this is so good. Is he aware that you're you're Dan Cook super fan? I think so. Yeah. Good. Yeah, good. I, I think he's aware of this, but I I can't like everybody that I've been speaking to. I'm like, you have to see him. He's just so good, and one of those people that I can't wait to see what he's going to do next. Uh, and I also think it is in, something that Tim and I have talked about. It is important to. If you love someone, you should probably tell them, shouldn't you? And I, I know it sounds like a thing oh. you'd be telling t- telling to a judge one day. Um, but <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I was just a fan. Um, but I it, agree with you on that. Like, if you find something funny, share it. Yeah. If if somebody does something funny that you think someone else would like, send it them. If you think someone's a good comedian, tell them and other people. That's what I. It's, it's not hard, is it? It's not hard. 
And if you think they're shit, just start a WhatsApp group about Yeah, exactly. Do the right thing <laughs> and say it behind their back. Yeah, I remember I w- when I was working in office, someone was gossiping about, uh, someone had left the room and then they gossiped and the person came back in the room. And the, the very classy response from the person, and they said, if you're going to talk about me, at least have the good grace to do it when I can't hear it. And I thought, oh, you you handle that so well. Oh, oh no. Um, who's closing this behemoth? It's Frank Skinner. Frank Skinner is closing. Breadcrumbs were dropped earlier on. Should have sensed where this was going. Uh, again, one of the most naturally funny comedians. Oh, so, like, unbelievably funny. And been around all the time. Because I remember, do you remember Packet of Three? Packet of Three, Jenny Clare, Henry yeah. Norman, Frank Skinner. Yeah, um, I remember watching that. And uh, didn't he used to have like a quiff in it? Like a, He's a big Elvis fan, isn't he? He was like a teddy boy in it, almost, wasn't he? Yeah. Henry Norman was Uh, on stage. Frank Skinner was like the stagehand. That's it, yeah. I think in my mind's eye, he's got a sweeping brush on the show and was like doing monologues down the camera. Yeah, that's what I kind of remember. I remember watching him on that. Um, Fantasy football. And then, yeah, so he goes from packets of three to fantasy football, doesn't he? Yeah, and And I just used to... And then it was, on fantasy football, from then on, it was just, you went intergalactic. I just remember thinking, he's so funny, so funny. And then I got, uh, this is, you know, this is dating it, it? Again, I got his video of his stand-up. And uh, how I got this, I don't know, because it was in 18. And at the time, I was still at school, and I just went into HMV, and I think I was about 13, and I bought it in HMV, and nobody questioned me. And I was like, oh, I got away with that, didn't I? So weird. And uh, I, I got it at home and I put it on and I was like, oh my God, I didn't realise this was so rude. Because he was so, his stand-up was so blue. <laughs> and I just remember watching it going, oh, oh God, this is all, like, not awful, but I just was like, oh no, I shouldn't be watching this. It was, because he's so rude, isn't it? Yeah. It can be uh, really, yeah. really rude. I mean, I was going to quite, there's a... Uh, there's a lot, I can't quite, if you're eating your breakfast at home, I can't do the bit I wanted to do. But yeah, it, yes, sure. So you rude. You wouldn't sit down with your mum and watch it. No, 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 no. no. You, it, you can't watch it with your, your parents can watch it and they'll laugh at it, but you can't watch it with your parents. It's... You've hit the nail on the head. Parents would laugh. You're, you're absolutely right. But for yeah. a family sitting, one of those where your dad would suddenly pretend to read the newspaper. Well, I was so shocked. And then what I did was I hid the video because I was like, oh, no, it's so, oh, no, I better hide it because I was so shocked by it and I couldn't watch it. And then obviously I was still, I still loved him. And, I, you know, I loved uh, My Blue Heaven, his sitcom. Yeah. Loved him, really liked him. He's in, he likes a lot of things that I like, like he's a big Elvis fan. Yeah. He likes his music. He's interested in lots of different things. I think he's got a really interesting backstory. Been to see him live. Absolutely love him. Been to see his work in progresses, and uh, I went to, it was, so last year, I think it was, you know, he was meant to be doing Edinburgh, and it didn't happen. Yeah. Because it, like, it was cancelled for personal reasons. I, I, the one show that I booked to see at Edinburgh, because I hate going to Edinburgh, was Frank Skinner. <laughs> and it got cancelled, I was like, fucking oh, you know. And then I went to, um, he was doing some work in progress, progress gigs at Two North Down, which, for those that don't know, is a very small venue in near King's Cross in London. 
and it was a tube strike and I'd got tickets. So I was thinking, I wonder how I can get, to- ah, that's why I can get tickets because it's a tube strike. So I got like three buses to get there, got there, made it. And he was brilliant. So what he d- I saw him walk past the pub that I was in before and I was like, oh, there he is. Doesn't he look well? And then as we went into the venue, I sort of sat on the side seats and I was enjoying it. And you know what he did? He didn't announce himself. On, he just walks on. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah, that is cool. The music, and he just walks on and he just starts talking. And I'm like, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. And then I went to see him a couple of weeks ago. I'm like a stalker. Right? I went to see him a couple of weeks ago doing his work in progress at 21 Soho. And that was like six in the evening. Packed out. He was so good. Effortless. Funny. Just great. Even his, his work in progress. If you'd paid the full amount for it, you'd be happy. Yeah. So, and so many iconic, memorable routines as well. That you could, you know, you could, so f- I remember... You could, you'd probably do 20 <laughs> Skinner routines off the top of your head. Do you know what I mean? Do you remember that really rude one that he did in like a show a couple of years ago? <laughs> it was about him getting on one of those things that you go under a car to repair, but he was talking about oral sex, and it was so disgusting. <laughs> But it was so, I was like, oh my God, this is disgusting. And that's what I love about him. Like, he can really do, he's so articulate. <laughs> he'll talk about lots of different things, but then he'll just be so crude. And he's just like, oh God. And it's quite, and he's quite shockingly crude, I think, but very funny with it. Um, and also, I remember in a show years ago, probably 20 years ago, that I went to see him do this. He was talking about the elephant man. Oh, yeah. I don't know why they call the elephant man the elephant man. It doesn't even look like an elephant. If anything, it looks like fresh ginger. <laughs> and I, I laughed at that for about a week. I couldn't stop laughing. And every time I see fresh ginger now, every single time I think about Frank Skinner saying that joke. It's the, 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 ele- the elegant, the, uh, the, the turn of phrase. It's, you know, beautiful, isn't it? So funny. I mean, that's, so that, funny. Is, that is, you know, that's... If PG Woodhouse had written that, it'd have taken the day off. (laughs) Exactly. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Now streaming only on Hulu. Right, wonderful. Now, is there an incident that you would lo- that's happened to you that you would love to happen at this dream gig of yours? 
really, do you know, this is weird. I was, I've was i been thinking about this and I'm thinking, what's happened at a gig that I had gone? See, the thing about me is I do a gig and I tend to just put it, go, oh, well, it's done now, you know. I can't really think of, here's something weird that, I can tell you something weird that happened that I wouldn't necessarily want to happen in another gig, but I just find audience, audience members can be quite inconvenient at times, can't they? And it, I just, <laughs> like, I did. You know, there's a theatre in in Northampton called the Royal and Derngate, I think it's called, and they run a gig there. I think it's every three months. And I did it about a year ago, and I was talking, and that gig was going fine. Fifteen minutes in, I was getting to. I just talk, I just said I'm interested in serial killers, right? And then there's sort of there's a bit of someone sort of shuffled about on a seat, and I was like, oh, okay, someone maybe going to get a drink. And then the next thing, this guy, as I've said a couple more things, just falls off his chair and starts having a bloody seizure. So I was like, oh, well, I said, oh, hang on, I better check he's all right. You know, I was like, is he all right? Well, they're chatting. I'll go and get him a drink of water, whatever. And then I thought, well, my, my time is done. I'm not going back on. You know, I'm done, kind of thing. Anyway, it turns out his girlfriend said, I'm really sorry. He's got an, a phobia of, of blood. And to the extent of, he can't even, me- if anything is mentioned that makes him think of it, <laughs> he just has, he can go into a, I mean, fucking get some help, mate, first of all. <laughs> but, you know, I felt bad for him. But at the same time, I'm like, all right, come on. How do you live your life? You know, you're full of the thing you're frightened of. So... Then I was like, well, oh, you know, and I checked he was all right, and he was, and I felt really bad for him, and he was very apologetic, and of course, you know, I'm, I'm glad he was fine. But then I was like, well, obviously the break's been called, so I'm not, I'm not going back on. Somebody, some local magazine reviewed the night. I don't know. I think they tagged me in it. And he said, this happened. Uh, Rachel Fairburn was very helpful and uh, got a drink for the, uh, the, the, for the chap or whatever it was, but... Uh, but sadly, uh, we never saw hide nor hair of her again. Oh, sorry. What? Like, what do you want me? A man has injured him. Like, he's, he's had some sort of seizure. I've helped him ascertain that he's fine. I was 16 minutes into a 20-minute set. I'm going home, mate. I'm not coming back. You've got so- to come back on and talk about what? But what do you want? You want me to go back and do four more minutes? Exactly. Where hide were we? Nor, do you know it was? Hide nor hair. Hide nor hair? Hide nor hair. Shut up. Like you're some I, sort of deserter. Yeah, exactly. I, so, so there's nothing I can think of. I mean, I wouldn't want that to happen in anyone's gig. I can't really think of anything that... Because I always find it, nothing funny really ever happens, you know. It's either just inconvenience or somebody annoying you, you know, like... Can I just say that the, about, the listener listening to this episode will, will be... I, I imagine will, will have said to themselves multiple times, Rachel Fairburn could only ever be a comedian. <laughs> well, here's the other thing that I hate as well. Audiences, comedy clubs that serve food while the, the, the show's on. Mate, you, what you can't see is Tim nodding so much he's got RSI. And you, you stood on the stage and there's someone getting a pizza and looking at them and then and shoving it in the mouth when you're on stage. What are you doing? Have your tea at home. Have your tea at home. But then, or, or, or get meet early and have it before the show, whatever. 
Because otherwise, if, I always think, what if every single person in the crowd was doing what you're doing? So there'd be no laughter and there'd just be a sea of people just chomp, chomp, chomp. Yep. So the Absolutely. comedian think that they're dying on the backside because every single yep. person's simultaneously having a fucking Hawaiian or whatever. Um, Absolutely. Yes. All right. That may I just say that of the question, what would you love to happen? That's the most self-deprecating, uh, self, least self-aggrandizing answer we've ever had. Um, <laughs> Has there been an incident that absolutely must not under any circumstances happen? Children in the in the show. Has that ever yeah. happened? Happened once, and to be fair to the person, well, it was in Edinburgh, two thousand sixteen, I think, and I was just looking at the audience, and there was a, a a woman with a very very cute tiny what I thought was a doll, tiny, and I saw it, and it had like little ginger hair sticking. It was very cute, and um. I thought, oh no, oh, I think she's got a doll with her. Best not to ask questions. You know, you never think, you, you think, well, something bad's happened. And then I was like, oh, I said, is that a baby? It was a little doll. So, oh, yeah, it's my daughter. She's, I think she's about a couple of weeks old. And I said, all right, okay. So, well, that's fine. And she went, oh, if she starts crying, I, I will take her out. I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to be that person that's telling a woman with a baby to get out. I was like, that's, it's a baby and it's fine. Anyway, two minutes in, it starts screaming. I was like, oh, brilliant. First comedy gig ever, and it hates it. So uh, the dad took it out, and the mum just watched the show, and I think that's fine. You know, to a degree, to a degree. But I just don't think a comedy show is a place where a child. You know, Matt Ford got all that stick. He's right. You know, he's right. And it's middle-class entitlement. I a was... working-class parent would never take a child into that environment. Oh, I was, yeah, hashtag... Team 40 on uh, yeah. with that one. Because also, you again, it comes back to that thing about what about the other people in the room? Absolutely. It just makes everyone uncomfortable. Let, so. You know, let's say you're, you're, you're a couple. One of you's taking the night off work. You've paid for the babysitter. You've paid for travel. You go for a meal. You know, you know the night is, the night you might be approaching a one right? Yeah. And then they're screaming all the way through the show. You're, you're only yeah. human. There's a part of it that's like, Oh, come on, mate. Absolutely. I don't mind. I don't mind a parent of a, an older child thinking, I think it's okay for this kid to come and watch the show. I think that's absolutely fine. That's, you know, but it does make people feel a little bit uncomfortable. You know, you know who brought their um, son with them to see me? Uh, you know, Gordon Brown, his wife, Sarah, she brought, <laughs> she came to watch me in Edinburgh. Amazing. She brought their kid. How weird's that? Found, Very nice phenomenal. Person. Rachel, I'm, I'm in, I'm in total agreement. And also, yep. there are, there are, there's such a thing, things as there's comedy for kids. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing I did. So Paul McCaffrey runs, I don't know if he does it anymore, a gig that's like an afternoon, a morning gig for mums, dads, babies, whatever. And I did one of those gigs, and I hated it because I still felt weird, even though it was perfectly acceptable. I didn't feel okay saying c word in front of a four week old baby. Do you know what I mean? So that's my now. I will go. Oh no, I'm. I don't want to do those gigs now because I don't. I don't like the vibe. Um, that's that's perfectly acceptable. But yeah, take them to a. I think having said that, my mum took me to see Alexi Sale when I was thirteen, but that was in a theatre. That was at the Apollo in Manchester. He's not. He's not rude. And Alexi, Alexi can't see you either. So like you're not exactly. Put, yeah, you're not we were sat further back. Yeah. So that, you know, different, in it? Now, how do you unwind after a gig? Um, well, I I can't eat before a gig. I'm not one of those comedians who's going to stuff a burger in the face before they go on stage. Cannot do it. So 
I, I mean, I don't, I don't drink anymore now. I'd stopped drinking in January. Congratulations. So sometimes I'd like, you know, I'm not saying I'm never going to drink again. I might have a, a wine every so often, but I'm not, you know, at the moment I'm not asked. But I might, uh, usually I like, you know, I might be my mate in the pub after a gig or whatever. Don't do that anymore. So what I like to do is have my tea when I get home. Nice. That's what I like. Lovely, um, whatever, whatever, you know, maybe I'll have a baked potato when I get home. Maybe if I'm away, I'll order myself a Wagamama's. You know, that kind of thing. That's my treat after the show. Has the not eaten ever, have you ever, um, without sounding like some sort of sports uh, psychologist <laughs> or nutritionist here, have you ever had a moment where you've like crashed on stage? No. No, because, you, pro- you know, eat, eat my breakfast, eat my dinner, and then gigs in the evening, I, I just can't, you know, I might have a piece of toast at like four o'clock, but I just don't feel hungry in the time running up to the time that I'm on stage. And I really look forward to that dinner afterwards. Perfect. Uh, Rachel, we, we can't thank you enough. Huge congrats on the tour. Ooh, uh, we'll give the deets when we put the app out. And uh, huge congrats on the, well, the, 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 the continued podcast success. And uh, yeah, mate, here's some more Rachel Fairburn. <laughs> Huge and heartfelt thanks to uh, the electrifying, the always brilliant Rachel Fairburn. Tim, what is your favourite Rachel Fairburn memory? <laughs> this one is, uh, it's not comedy related. It's almost life advice from Rachel Fairburn. Yes, please. So Rachel came to do a gig. Uh, I believe this was gig two or three that week. Um, Rachel was wearing sort of like a cowboy shirt or something. It was great. It that is so a great cool. shirt. Yeah, really good. Yeah. So I said to Rachel, Rachel, where did you get that shirt? She said, I got it from, I won't say the brand, but it's a clothing resale app. And she said, I got it from, it cost me two pounds. So ever since, I use that app and... It's changed my life. Are you joking? Genuinely. Two quid. Tim, in all the favourite memories we've ever done, I think that's the number one. Yeah. That is brilliant. I really wish I, I need to up my game now. Well, my my favourite memory is a punchline from her new show, and I was like, I can't burn the gear, but it's all about Hitler. And you know a, yeah. you know a bit is fantastic when you, when you tell your mates uh, about a bit. And I, uh, Laura, someone who does... Uh, who works with Always Be Comedy. She does our PR. Hello, Laura. Uh, and I told her the Hitler bit, and she absolutely pissed herself. And that is always the, I think that's always the sign of a great bit. If you want to see the Hitler bit, you can buy tickets to Rachel's tour. Oh, sorry, by the way, I can't emphasize this enough. It's not pro-Hitler. <laughs> that really, really went without saying. But, I, God, yeah, Rachel hasn't, <laughs> hasn't suddenly had a real change of direction. Um, yeah, it, obviously au contraire, but it's it's a terrific bit. But Tim, yours is... Tim, why don't you give a shout out to the brand? That's all right, isn't it? Go on, I will. It was Vinted. Get Vinted. It's good stuff. So is that an app, Vinted? That's an app. That's a great... I think you're doing a good thing there, sharing Rachel's life advice. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's lovely. Uh, now, as ever, we've got so many shows. Uh, alwaysbecomedy.com slash tickets. Uh, you will see the likes of Ian Sterling, Fern Brady, Ed Gamble, Sophie Duker, Sarah Keyworth. My God, 
uh, Mike Wozniak, and many, many more. Tanya Moore, Joe Sullivan, I'm, I'm, this is me scrolling down, Susie Ruffle. Alwaysbecomedy.com, Sinduvi, slash tickets and correspondence. As always, we love your correspondence. Uh, please do get in touch. We are the team at alwaysbecomedy.com. Please rate, review, subscribe. The five stars help like you would not believe. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll see you all next week. We've got another absolute banger in store for you. Uh, Tim, thank you as always. God bless you. Oh, and you'll, as, a, as a, almost a callback to last week's episode, we put another video out just this morning. Uh, Crystal Palace. You don't need to be a football fan to uh, enjoy it. Huge and helpful thanks. Tim, anything to add? Uh, you can watch that video on our various social medias, which are all at Always Be Comedy. That includes Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and threads. We're on the ruddy threads. Thread seems quite nice. I don't really know what I'm doing with threads, but it seems all right, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a clue what it is, but it what, seems, what, it seems what to a, work. What a ringing endorsement. <laughs> seems all right. Uh, so, yeah, thank you as always, guys. You are the best, uh, and we, we, we love you a lot, and we're very grateful. Take care. Have a great week. Bye.